Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Christian Church. If it's your first time here, we just want to thank you and welcome you. Uh, we are just so blessed to have you here this morning and that you chose to worship with us this morning. And what a wonderful day it is to just worship and exalt God today. And how wonderful it is that we can just gather as one body and corporately worship him. We are currently going through the book of Acts, which we will be in today. That's a, there's a, a buzzword today that's used an awful lot, and that word is transformation. You can be a new you. Steps to be a better you. Transform into your best you. Become a successful you. These are all iterations of, of personal transformation. More confidence, better self-image, new career, lose weight, lose stress, gain confidence. Listen, personal motivators and life coaches are a big business. Last year, it's estimated that nearly, they made over nearly $2 billion in that industry. Some are, are superficial changes, new wardrobe, makeup, diets, moving, new job. Others are, are a little more deep, meditation, spiritualization, therapy. But none of these are capable of creating true transformation. 100 life coaches, 70 new wardrobes, and a new career every week cannot transform your heart. The issue is not cosmetic. The issue is not anything outside. The human condition is a condition of the heart. You cannot change your heart. When the Bible talks about heart, it's not speaking of the muscle that pumps blood to the rest of the body. It's the, 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 the whole of, of, of you as a person, your mind, your, your feelings, your emotions, your you complete. Nothing in this world or anyone in this world or anything that this world offers can change your heart. You can't help you because you are corrupted by sin. And no one on earth can help you because they are just as corrupted as you are. Before we get to our text, look at me, or look with me, um, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Christianity is all about radical transformation, and no one can do it themselves. Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Jeremiah 2, 22. Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. And all these self-help psychological books and motivational speakers, they say you can, you can search yourself to change. The power to change is within you. Understand, according to God, the problem is within you, not the solution. 
On our own, we cannot change who we are. We cannot change our sinful nature. Every part of us was corrupted in the fall at Adam's sin. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Yet fallen people are flocking to other fallen people, wanting the secret to be transformed. And they are getting a a non-biblical view of themselves and of the world. As as people, we get exhausted by our external circumstances and our our own behaviors. We want to change those things, but those in the world and the world itself cannot offer the change that we need. Last week, we saw real transformation. We saw real change. We saw the great hunter and persecutor of God's people, Saul, broken, humbled, knocked to the feet of Christ by Christ alone. We saw him shown mercy and grace, and his life was radically changed. It was radically transformed. That's only, that only happens by God's hand. Turn with me to Acts 9. We're going to continue this, this amazing uh, transformation in Paul's life, or Saul's life. He's not yet become Paul. Starting with verse 10. Now understand, though, before we, we get into our text, that while the circumstances of seeing Christ were unique to Saul, the radical transformation that happens at conversion is not. It happens to everyone who God draws to his son and leads to repentance. A good example is John Newton. John Newton was a sailor. He was a fornicator, a rebellious man. Like many sailors of the time, And he worked on slave ships. He captured slaves to take to the new world. He later took the captain's seat of his own slave ship. And one evening out on the waters, a storm arose violently. And while Captain Newton was reading a Christian testimony, his heart was cultivated and seeds were planted. John Newton would be radically transformed. And he went on to become a huge part of the evangelical movement in England during the 18th century, like George Whitfield and William Wilberforce. He was a pillar of Christianity. We, of course, sing a song that he penned, maybe the most well-known hymn of all time, Amazing Grace. John Newton's tombstone reads, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That is a life radically changed. As we said earlier, we left Saul after his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded and alone, but he was radically transformed Acts 9, starting with verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on, call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now Saul's life was radically changed forever. Understand the circumstances, again, around Saul's conversion on that road were unique and exclusive to him. But the basics of Saul's conversion are the same for everyone who is called and converted. Everyone. You, me, everyone. We want to look at, at, at these, these, these factors in this. And the first factor that we see here is that there's a hearing of the gospel. One of the, the first factors of conversion is this hearing of the gospel. Romans 10.17 So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Long before Saul was on that road, he had heard the gospel. You see, Saul was, Saul was submit, or, or submerged in the, the Christian movement because he was hunting it, because he was persecuting it. He was around Christians. He had heard the gospel. He was there when Stephen was praying, when he was being stoned. And that whole time, the Holy Spirit was cultivating Saul's heart. Long before Saul would ever see Jesus on that road at Damascus. You see, Christianity is very exclusive. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Jesus himself tells us this in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because of its exclusivity in the early days of the church, it was not known as Christianity. It was known as the way. Saul knew the claims Christ made. He knew what Christ's followers believed and taught. Remember, he was, he was there hearing Stephen's prayer. The radical transformation of a life enslaved to sin and then converted to life and set free by Christ always begins with an understanding of the gospel and knowledge the confessing of Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember what we saw with Saul last week, earlier in Acts, that after he'd been knocked to the ground by Christ's glory, Saul says, who are you, Lord? He recognized it immediately. There was a, an immediate recognition that this is the Lord. And then there was obedience. Verse 10 through 12. Here, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. We see Ananias here 
And we talked about him last week. He was preaching in Damascus. He acknowledges the Lord as Lord. Now, again, this is, is somewhat similar to the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch with Philip, where the Holy Spirit was cultivating the eunuch's heart. And God had, had, had arranged for the eunuch to get a hold of the, the, the gospel presentation from Isaiah 53. And then he, he tells Philip where to go to be able to meet the eunuch on the road and present the gospel to help him understand. Ananias is being told to go to Saul. Miraculously, God gives Ananias a vision of Saul and Saul a vision of Ananias. God's sovereign hand is in every single conversion. What about Saul? Well, he's blind. He's at someone named Judas's house. We have to understand Judas was a common name at that time. And what's he doing while he's at this house and he's blind? We see in verse 11, it says he is praying. Why is this important? Well, because it takes us to the next factor in conversion. A conversion, there's a desire for communion and dependence on God. A life that is truly transformed becomes dependent on God and is in communion with God. Paul is blind, and for three days he is communing with God in prayer, and he's dependent on God to make the next move. Now look back at Ananias. We know he's a Jew. Paul would later uh, describe him as well-spoken and devout. Interesting, though, is after this encounter with Saul, we never hear of Ananias again, other than Paul's account of what happened here in this chapter. So, so Ananias is, is, is plucked literally from obscurity. And the next move that Saul is waiting on and his dependence on, on God involves a disciple living in obscurity to this point, coming to speak to Saul. God moves the pieces he desires for his will. Back to Saul. He is praying. It's automatic. You don't have to tell someone who has just been converted to pray. They just do it. They know it. They desire it. They are drawn to it. They now desire to be in communion with their Savior. Prayer is involuntary. It's natural for the believer. And what about God in all this? <laughs> I mean, how great is our God? He cares so much for the individual sinner that he is guiding the minds, the paths, the behaviors of these two men while cultivating through his spirit the heart of Saul. This is absolutely magnificent to know that the creator of all things cared so much for you that by his providence, he prepared everything and moved everything to call you his child. That's the God that we worship. He is sovereign and his hand is in every single 
act of salvation. The third factor that we see in this conversion is there's a call to service. Look at, look at verse 13 here. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias is hesitant. Saul's name brought fear to any Christian. But understand, Ananias has no idea of what has happened to Saul back on that road. He has no idea what the Holy Spirit has done in Saul's heart. You know, the funny thing is we don't even face a thimble-sized amount of the hatred and, and none of the persecution that the Christians at that time faced. We face maybe people won't talk to us. Maybe people will reject us. Maybe people will say names or, or say bad things about us behind our back. And yet, we fear speaking to people about Christ like Ananias did. And just like Ananias, we have no idea what God is doing or moving in that other person's life. See, if the Holy Spirit is cultivating that heart or not, we don't know. So we're called to share the gospel. But let's be honest. We all feel like we would share the gospel more frequently if we knew ahead of time that it would be accepted, right? And how this all works. We're not privy to that information. Ananias had heard things about Saul. He points out in verses 13 through 14, not good things, obviously. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. The Lord assures Ananias here, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. Speaking of Saul, the Lord says, he is a chosen instrument of mine. Did you notice he doesn't say, hey, it's going to be okay because Saul's decided to, to come over to our side of things. Saul decided that he no longer wanted to persecute uh, Christians and he's decided now to, to follow me. No. He says he chose Saul. He is chosen. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He's been chosen, elected. A vessel of election. Saul has been called by God not only to be a servant, but to ministry and directly to be an apostle. This has to soothe Ananias' concern a bit. Rarely do we ever see God make, make one person privy to his plan in another person's life. But yet here he is laying out. This is the plan for Saul. You know, really, Ananias is kind of one of those forgotten heroes of the New Testament because in his obedience to the call to go and speak to Saul, who was a persecutor and whom they feared, Saul was brought along as an incredible vessel for the spreading of the gospel. Verse 16 
for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Saul will not be causing others to suffer. He now will suffer for Christ. Paul states in Scripture his willingness and thankfulness to suffer for Christ's namesake. What a radical transformation. The man that caused so much suffering because of his hatred for Christ and for the belief of Christianity will now be willing and thankful to suffer for that which he once hated and persecuted. Understand that's a transformation that can only happen by God's hand. Saul's called into service for Christ. Look at, look at Saul's life in this. So Saul's whole life is now topsy-turvy. We saw last week how everyone Saul would have counted as friend is now an enemy. Everyone that Saul had hunted is now a brother and sister in Christ. And now he's blind. And now he worships the person that he persecuted. He's obedient to the Lord. And he's waiting for God to make the next move. And he gets a vision that a man is coming, and that man will lay hands on him, and Saul will regain his sight. And Ananias will tell Saul that he is a chosen vessel to preach and serve the Lord for the gospel that he persecuted. I mean, can you imagine a more radically transformed life? Understand something. Three days earlier, when Saul set out to Damascus, This was not what Saul had on his docket of events for the day. His life was radically transformed. And it's the same radical transformation which occurs in our life. We don't have the external miracle, miraculous events, but we have the same spiritual conversion. It's a life radically transformed by Christ is called the service. Service to God. Because that's the reason we live. The Holy Spirit equips us for that service. And this brings us to the next factor. We get the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 through 19. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. The Holy Spirit fills Saul. Now remember, we looked at this earlier in Acts, that in this early part of the church, There needed to be apostolic confirmation for the Holy Spirit. We see that back when when we saw the the passage on Simon the Magician, that Peter had to come out and he was in Jerusalem and had to leave Jerusalem to come out and, and where Philip was and confirm that these were true conversions. That was part of the apostolic authority that they had. We don't have that now. We have the Holy Spirit at our moment of conversion. Saul needed the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill the service he was called to, the service that we are called to when we are radically transformed into vessels for for God, for the, the spreading of the gospel, for the growing of God's kingdom. We must have the Holy Spirit to fulfill that service. And what is being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we're under the control of the Spirit. 
This is done because we submit to the Spirit. We submit to the Spirit of God. It's not some mystical happening. Understand that. It, it, it's not this thing where we, we, we you know, the, the real odd stuff on the fringe where they talk about, you know, this the Spirit and, and it causes you to behave in wacky ways. That is not the biblical example we see of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. It's submitting to the Spirit. It's being submissive to the Holy Spirit. When we understand the Word of God and are obedient to the Word of God, that's us being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only way we can understand the Word of God. We can only understand the Word and be obedient to it because the Holy Spirit is leading us. And we're obedient to its leading because we're obedient to the Word of God. The Word of God was the inspired words of God by the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. We have wisdom. We have wisdom through the Word of God because of the Holy Spirit. These things that are, are in the Scriptures are revealed to us through the Spirit. Romans 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We can have confidence that we are sons and daughters and have been adopted into the family of God because we're led by the Spirit when we understand God's Word, when we're obedient to God's Word. We understand that only happens when we're led by the Holy Spirit. It's confidence then that we are truly Converted. What a transformation. And this is the transformation that takes place in every believer. Hear the gospel, which leads to faith. And being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then communing with God in prayer. And being empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the service that we're called to. That is, every one of us called to be children of God, called to saving faith in Christ Jesus. What a radical transformation. And one more thing. That service that we're called into. Look, look at this service. We go to Acts 9. And we continue on just past our text for a couple of verses. Starting with verse 20. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is speaking of Saul. For some days he was with the disciple at the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, "He is the Son of God." And all who heard him were amazed and said, "Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests?" But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul is now preaching Christ in the synagogues, the same place that he arrested and carted Christians out of. He is now there preaching the gospel. This is completely 
a radical transformation in this life. He's faithful, obedient, spirit-filled. He has a new direct mission in life, and it's a mission of service to Christ. Listen, the day that we were given this new life, when God breathed life into us, we were not the same person we were the day before, and thank God for that. This This life is not lived for us. This life is lived for God. This life isn't dependent on us. This life is dependent on His Spirit. This is a radically transformed life. Let's pray.